0: For those of you that may may know, I um, I used to fly back from you know between Glasgow and London for work every single fortnight pre-pandemic. It's hard to think that that's what I used to do. <laughs> I Used to get up at five o'clock in the morning on a on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and then get back at midnight the following day. Then a couple of days down in London for work. Um, bonkers, isn't it? The things we used to do. Anyway, um, so we used to do that, and for those of you that know Glasgow airport, there used to be, I'm not sure if there is anymore, uh, there used to be lots of HSBC ads um, all around Glasgow airport, I don't know if you remember any of them, but one really struck out at me as I was travelling uh, back and forth, and it was a picture of a little girl, probably six years old, uh, with a cape and with goggles on, pretending to be a superhero, yeah? And the tagline, I don't know if you remember what the tagline was, but it said, to succeed in life, you need some powerful allies. Together we advance. To succeed in life, um, you need some powerful allies. Together we advance. It's true, isn't it? I mean, how many times have you heard the saying, behind every great leader is a great team? Behind every great leader is a great spouse? You know, behind every great leader is a great mentor, or a great coach. We may know people who are great and have achieved great things, but they seldom have no support. They seldom have no cheerleaders, people mentoring them, cheering them on um, to succeed and and to step out into everything that, that they have. Because to succeed in life, we need some powerful allies around us. We do this life together. Now, hopefully you remember saying back in January um, that one of our um, vision priorities was discipleship. And you might have seen in the email come come out this week that um, that's something that we are focusing on this year. And over the last few months, the wonderful Anne and the amazing Harry and the mighty Jan have been um, pulling together some incredible material for us to... Um, you know, to be working on. And I'm excited to say that today we are launching, I think probably Hope's first ever. Is that Hope's first ever? We are launching Hope's first ever one-to-one mentoring program. Woo! No, there was not enough excitement in the room. Come on, we're launching today, Hope's first ever mentoring program. So exciting. I'm very, very excited about this. And so today at midnight, At midnight, midday, midday, straight after this preach, um, we're going to have available to you applications and some more information about what that mentoring program looks like. And you'll hear about it over the next few weeks, but in essence, the program runs between October of this year and August of next year. So it's an 11 month program and it's an opportunity for you to join us in being encouraged, provoked, cheered on and challenged in your walk with God or being instrumental in doing that for someone else. You know, at Hope we are passionate to see you grow and discover who you are and all that God has called you to. And this mentoring programme is is a key part um, of helping us together do that for one another. So as we launch it today and over the next three weeks um, as Mark said, we've got an opportunity to really think about discipleship together as a family, what it looks like in the Bible, what it looks like for us today. And then in the third week, um, we'll have the opportunity to hear from Anne and Harry about very practically what this mentoring program looks like um, and, you know, an opportunity for us to get involved. So as we start, I want us just to turn to the person next to, to us and, and just when I say the word discipleship, just, say, just tell them what words or what phrases come to mind when you hear the word discipleship. So just, just a few minutes, just turn to the person next to you. Discipleship, what does it spring up for you? Great, so these are all really great words and I think they sum up, you know, a lot of what, what, what we would also describe as discipleship. But often when you also think about discipleship, maybe a person will come to mind as you think about that word. You know, someone who's come alongside you personally and invested in you, someone who's cheered you on and challenged you and provoked you to grow in um, in who you are, and maybe recognise the gift that you're carrying and just wants to pull that out of you and say, you know, I see that in you. Come on, let's like let's pull that out of you. And and you know, often discipleship relationships will will you know will be people who. You actually have started to be, you know, vulnerable with, and you have gone a lot deeper with, and so actually you're giving them permission to speak into your life, and permission to, to sort of cheer you on and push you and provoke you and challenge you and encourage you to grow, and that is incredibly healthy. We we all need that. And there are examples of, uh, you know, of discipleship in the Bible. Obviously Jesus, great one. Um, and probably the most perfect model of that and um, and over the next two weeks we are going to be looking at a couple um, of these examples and as i said then on the third week anne and harry are going to be talking to us a little bit more about the practicalities of this mentoring program so this morning i want um, i want to spend a little bit of time looking at elijah and elisha and i don't know if you if those who are around like actually probably about i don't know it must be eight years ago or something like that, a long time ago, I did actually do um, a preach on Elijah and Elisha. So I dug out those notes to see kind of what I was saying to the church then and maybe what God's like new messages sort of today with where the season that we're in at the moment. Um, but we're going to look at Elijah and Elisha and it is one of the most well-known mentoring relationships in scripture that centred around two men's calling and what God had placed on their life. And their stories appear in one and two kings, so towards the end of one kings and the beginning of two kings. And both men were really called to be God's messenger to the people of that time, and kings and and influences in the land. They were called to be prophets to the nation. Elijah delivered some really hard words um, to to the nation at the time. They were called to fight idolatry. There was a lot of, um, you know, idolatry in the land and really wanted to restore uh, worship to the true king of Israel, to restore worship to God, who was the true king of Israel. And that was on both of them, that calling. Um, And, you know, they had that same, but they were also very different, and we're gonna come on and look at that as we we go on. But Elisha's relationship with Elijah clearly played an important role um, in his life and his ministry. But let's start with Elijah. What do, we, what do we know about Elijah? Well, we first hear about Elijah in 1 Kings 17, if you want to go away and look at that. And that's where we pick up the story. And he's introduced as a Tishbite. He's from Gilead. And um, who basically, one of the first, in the first couple of verses, we hear that he is prophesying um, that there will be a drought in the land for the next few years. And in the few verses that follow, we hear that he is called to leave the land and, and go east. And God says to him, you know, I will um, provide for you. I will allow you to drink from the brook. You know, in this time of drought, I'll, I'll allow you to drink from the brook and I will uh, feed you uh, morning and evening through ravens. Ravens will bring you bread and meat in the morning and in, in, in the evening. I mean, bizarre, right? But um, that's how it, that's how it rolled. That's how he did it. Um, And so right from the outset, we see that this is a man who has learned to trust God. And we're not just talking about learning to trust him for like really trivial, low risk things in his life. We're talking about 101 survival. You know, every single morning and evening, he's got to trust that God is going to bring those ravens, bring that bread and that water and and that meat for him to be able to survive. And so having learned this style of living it comes as no surprise that there are several other um you know provision miracles that we see in elijah's life there's a story where the widow who doesn't have enough bread um to feed herself or her her son let alone anyone else when elijah comes and says you know can you give me some bread she says you know all i've got is a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil and Elijah tells her to go, and you know, and then there's a never end, like an endless supply um, of, of flour and oil so that she can make bread for him and for herself and her son. And then in chapter nine, we move from ravens to angels. Uh, angels are now providing Elijah with bread and water so that he can carry on in his journey. Um, Uh, you know and 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 not grow weary and so he's seen time and time again countless miracles and of god's provision and but he doesn't just have a food anointing cool it's a cool anointing isn't it (laughs) (laughs) food as you need it he doesn't just have a food anointing elijah raises a boy from the dead he sees fire fall from heaven on the altar um and he speak and and god speaks to him in that still small voice do you remember that after the earthquake um, and, the, and the fire and the wind, he then, God then comes and speaks to him with a very still, small voice. So it's safe to say that Elijah really had quite an incredibly powerful and influential anointing. He he was doing some cool stuff and he was really walking in it, you know, in, in some incredible miracles that we see happen. But, and this is the first thing I want us to pull out of this passage today, and really grasp today, that Elijah comes to realise that he is not cool to be a lone ranger. Now, for a lot of his ministry, he has been doing it on his own, and he's been walking on his own and ministering on his own, but he comes to realise that he's not cool to be a lone ranger, and that his purpose and calling, as incredible and noteworthy as it is, doesn't start and end with him. You know, he is part of God's big family, and he plays his part, but it is just that. It's only part of God's rich tapestry of solutions for that nation. And he recognizes that he has an important role to play in investing in the next generation and pouring into another human being to see the full purposes of God fulfilled, not just for his life, but for the life of another, and ultimately for the the world. And so he, you know, God calls him to go and anoint Elisha. He was going to replace him as a prophet so that he can continue the work that God has started and so into him um, for the last decade of, of his ministry. So scholars reckon that Elijah and Elisha walked together between six to 10 years. And so, you know, Elijah dedicates a, a huge amount of time to actually, you know, really allowing someone else walk alongside him and, and pour into them and invest in them. So I want us just to look at the calling of Elisha and, and what that looked like um, because there's some other points that I want us to pick up um, you know, from, from, from how, how Elisha responds as well. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to, turn to them and because it's not good. I don't, well, I don't know. Unless, yeah, I don't think it'll come up. So 1 Kings 19, and we're going from 19 to the end. So it says, So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, ploughing a field with a team of oxen. There were 11 teams of oxen ahead of him, and he was ploughing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak over his shoulders and walked away again. Elisha left the oxen standing there and ran after Elijah, saying, Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied, but consider what I have done to you. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burnt the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Now in this passage, we see Elijah and throwing his cloak over to Elisha. And really that symbolizes, that was a symbol of Elijah transferring his prophetic anointing and authority onto Elisha. That's kind of what that symbolizes. And um, as we look at kind of how Elijah responded, I want us to just take note of of, of, of what Elijah does. It says, you know, that he he um, he ran after it. He, straight away after the cloak is put, you know, and Elijah walks away. It's very strange, isn't it? Elijah <laughs> throws a cloak on him, says nothing, and just walks away. Very odd. Anyway. Um, he walks away and Elisha basically runs after him and he says, look, let me kiss my mother and father goodbye and, and, and then I will come with you. Elisha's response is a yes response. Yeah. Elisha doesn't hesitate or really ask Elijah any questions. He doesn't seem to worry about the fact that he's going to have to leave his life as a wealthy farmer, which we can see because he's got 12 sets of oxen. So he was doing pretty well for himself. But he immediately goes and he kills, he kills the oxen. He, he cooks it so that he can give, gives it to his family and he says goodbye to his family. Now that will have taken, you know, that's a system and a process. That would have taken a little bit of time. But his initial response was a yes response. To Elijah. For me it's like Elijah's been waiting for the invitation to step into his God-given calling and when it comes he is hungry and ready with his yes. He's saying yes to God and yes to the invitation to be in relationship with someone who is going to help him grow, who is going to help him be stretched and pursue all that God had for him, the calling on his life. So I want to ask us a question this morning because, you know, this is Elisha's response, but we, we can take something from this as we look at kind of discipleship, and as we look at what this looks like for us today. I want to ask us the question, has Jesus got your yes? And for me, this is kind of a multifaceted yes, because it might be a yes to living out the call that God has placed on your life. And let's just let's just bear in mind that it doesn't have to be a call to be this you know a crazy prophet to the nation or to go and do these crazy things that Elijah and Elisha does. It could it could be that you know God has called you to be a teacher, to be a lecturer, to be a business owner, to be a mother, whatever it is that you feel God has called you to, you know, has Jesus got your yes? For me it's it's Yes, it's a yes to being the best version of yourself. It's yes to partnering with the prophetic words that are on your life. It's yes to moving in the gifts that God has given you. And it's yes to having all of us, like Jan was talking about last Sunday, which requires really an active and an ongoing yes every single morning, doesn't it? It's a yes every single morning. To, to wanting to walk in kind of what God, God has for us that day. And I guess as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, maybe you know um, who God has made you to be and your purpose. Or maybe you don't feel like you've quite discovered that yet, but you're really hungry to do that and ready to say yes to the invitation to grow and discover um, more of who God has made you to be and more of what's in there that he wants to uncover. Or maybe as I was saying there, you, you know, you've said yes, but actually you want that to be a deeper yes, and you want, um, you know, you want to say yes every day, um, every morning, and, you know, that's an ongoing active um, decision to say yes. So that's like... The second point, really, that I want us to take away, so the first, you know, was that Elijah recognized that he was part of a big historian, that he had a role to be investing in another person's life, to really see um, them fulfilled in the calling and, and everything that God had for them. And the second is that Elijah's response is a yes response to God, and a yes response to someone who is, who's saying, you know, I, I will give you access to me, I will give you time, I, I want to walk alongside you. Now, as we go on and look at the story of Elijah and Elijah, we don't hear loads about Elisha and the remaining stories of Elijah in, in 1 Kings. But we do know that Elisha becomes Elijah's apprentice. And uh, we see in 2 Kings 3, verse 11, he's referred to um, as being the one who washes Elijah's hands. It's a great job title, isn't it? The hand washer. But it meant that basically he was always with Elijah. I mean, that was like... Six to ten years, it's a long time of, of being with someone. So, this was an intense relationship with commitment really on both sides. And I guess if you were to hang out with um, anyone who had the anointing that Elijah had, you can only imagine that as a result of that time together over those years, you know, you'd learn a whole heap of stuff. And I'm sure Elijah got him doing things and stepping out, um, you know, much like we see Jesus doing with the disciples. And I love that. I, I love and I'm challenged by that story when Jesus goes to feed the 5,000 and he says, you feed them. You know, he really passes it on, to so he, he, he can do it, but he's like, okay, you feed them. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure this was a relationship of, of, um, of, of, of you know, encouraging and spurring Elijah on to do the doing and stepping out into the faith. But he will have also seen the miracles, he'll have seen how Elijah handled situations, he'll have seen Elijah's relationship with God and been coached to step into his own anointing. So when it comes to the point that Elijah is taken away, it's Elijah's, Elijah's moment to take really everything he's learned from that time together um, and start standing on his own two feet and living out his own anointing and calling on his life. So I want us to read together two kings and five, uh, 2, two kings two five to twelve. And this is the point where Elisha is taken, and um, Elisha then takes on. So Elisha two verses five to twelve. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, "Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today?" Quiet, he answered again. Of course I know it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided and the two of them went across on dried land. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, what can I do for you before I am taken away? And Elisha replied, please let me become your rightful successor. Or in other versions, he says, please give me a double portion of um, of your anointing. He says, you've asked a difficult thing. Elijah replied, if you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request, but if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, I mean, imagine this, they were walking along and talking. I don't know what they were talking about at that point. Suddenly, a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between them, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, "'My father, my father, "'the chariots and charioteers of Israel.' And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his robe in two. Then Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak and returned to the back of the Jordan River. He struck the water with the cloak and cried out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided and Elisha went across. What a passage. Don't see that every day, do you? I want us to imagine for a moment, you know, you have been walking with um, this guy who has, um, who, who's given you access, who who have been walking alongside for six years, let's say, six years. And then suddenly, you know, God takes this man away in the most glorious and, and amazing way possible. And you're standing there. And I just want you to imagine, like, what what would you do at that point? You know, you're on your own. You've had you've had this immense intense relationship. I, I mean, it, you know, you can see that he had grief and he tore his in too. But what do you do at that point? Well, it's interesting to see what Elisha does, isn't it? You know, because he picks up the cloak. And do you remember that's exactly what Elijah did? He picked up the cloak and he struck it and, and the river divided in two. And what does Elijah do? The first thing he does is the last miracle that Elijah did. Chapter two, verse 13, Elijah picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, went back and stood on the bank of Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. His first miracle on his own is the same as Elijah's last miracle before he departs the earth. And not only that, if you then go on to read the story of Elijah, you can see that there are multiple miracles that he does that really mirror Elijah's miracles. So we've got um, the widow. He also meets a widow who has no food and has nothing to provide for him. Um, and uh, for her and her son, and the creditors, the debt collectors are coming for them. And he does exactly the same he says, What do you have? What do you have? And the widow goes off and goes and gets, um, you know, goes, goes and gets a picture and is provided with a never ending, you know, a, a, an ongoing supply of um, flour and oil. And that looks a lot like, you know, that, that story that we looked at in One Kings, where Elijah also does that. And then there's another story where Elisha goes and raises a boy from the dead in much the same way that Elijah did earlier in the passage. You know, he goes and he lies on the, boy's, on the boy's body, which is what Elijah does. He um, touches his hands to his hands, his mouth to his mouth, his eyes to his eyes, and he raises the boy from the dead. And I don't think that's a coincidence that the Bible tells us that you know, these miracles are the same because we learn from those around us, don't we? We start to have faith for the things that we see happening in our family, in our church, in our friendship groups. You know, last week, um, I I prayed for someone for their legs to grow, and I'm not saying it grew, but I I prayed with so much more faith because I heard that Jan said that that was something that, you know, that's what you do. And I thought, well, if she does it, and that's a testimony right there, then why not? You know, I've got so much more faith because it's happening. In my church family and with people who I know. And so, you know, sharing of testimony can help someone grow. Sharing life experience can help someone grow. And, um, you know, the story of Elijah and Elisha is one of really sharing experience sharing kind of testimony whether he saw those miracles and were part of them or he just heard elijah talk about them this is really important kind of um sharing and and growing of the body to really help each other to grow more into what god has for us i've been doing like a um, a management sort of leadership course recently and and actually mentoring is is one of the was one of the modules and I just wanted you know to look at the definition of mentoring is is it, for them like in the corporate sector really is to work together with the individual sharing learning experience and skills answering and asking the right questions being a sounding board encouraging and cheering on and guiding the mentee to learn for themselves and i think that's what's really important to take from here because although we can see on the one side that we can be encouraged by another person's walk and we can sort of be spurred on to do the same sort of miracles or the same, you know, the same sort of things that they're doing. Ultimately, we are not called to be them, are we? Yeah. Jesus doesn't want to just create lots and lots of mini-me's. Elijah wasn't actually a mini-me of Elijah. They actually were quite different people. I, I was trying to think, okay, well, how, how are they different? Because they do very similar miracles, but how are they different? Other than the fact that one was a very hairy man, apparently, and the other one was bald. (laughs) They had a physical difference. But, you know, actually, I think maybe their characters were quite different, because Elijah really doesn't mince his words, does he? I don't know if you know, kind of, like, the story of Elijah very well, but he was a prophet, an Old Testament prophet, and he brought some very very difficult words to the king i just pulled out one 1 kings 21 18 19. have you not murdered a man and seized his property well this is what the lord says in the place where dogs licked up neighbor's blood dogs will lick up your blood yes yours <laughs> i mean these were the words of the lord that he was speaking but he did not mince his words whereas you get to the passage in 2 Kings 17 where elijah is taken from elisha and then um, and then the prophets of Jericho come along and say, "Where's Elijah? Do you know what? We'll send 50 men to go and find Elijah for you." And he says, "No, no, 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 don't do that." Knowing full well that Elijah's being taken off in a chariot, you know, to heaven. And they say, "No, no, no, we'll we'll send 50 men to go and look for Elijah." And he says, "No, no, no, don't don't do that." And I think by the third time they say, "No, no, we'll we'll send 50 men to go and look for your master." And he says. It says, but they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. He <laughs> thought, Do you know, okay, I'm going to be diplomatic in this situation, and I'm going to be very British and be like, okay, you, you go. So, at, you know, I looked at that passage and I thought, I think they were probably quite different characters, yeah. but also, you know, Elijah was called to confront a lot more powerful people, the kings and um, of the time. Whereas Elisha's ministry was actually to interact with a lot more common people, the widow, the labourer, the Shun-like women. And you look at his ministry and it it was actually quite different to Elijah's. Um, It's funny that they have such similar names, isn't it? It's very confusing, Elijah and (laughs) Elisha. So although there were similarities and he learned and he took the gold from what God was doing in Elijah's life, actually he wasn't called to be Elijah. He was called to be Elisha. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 doesn't say, For I know the plans I have for you, and they're exactly the same as the ones I had for Elijah. So if you just become him because I need another Elijah in this world, that would be great. No. You know, it says, For I know the plans I have for you. We each have our own unique calling and anointing, the things that God has for us. Janine said it actually again last week, said... You know i can't i can't minister to your friends i can minister to my friends but i don't have access to your friends so you've got to go minister to your friends so we can learn from each other but ultimately god has called us to a new unique thing and actually what we want to do is we want to spur one another on to yes learn from life experience yes learn from testimony of like what god's doing and each other's lives, but actually look at who God has made you to be, what He has placed in you, and to draw that out of you and to see you really walk in everything that God has for you. So, as we come into land, as many preachers say, coming into the runway, I want us to conclude with two questions as we look at the, 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 the passage and um, as we look at kind of the, the questions that I've posed to you. I guess my first question, which is what I had for you before, was, are you ready to say yes to Jesus? And maybe that is that, yes, you've already said yes. Um, you, you know, you want to, to live in what God has for you. Um, but actually, it's like, I want to say yes to Jesus every single day and I want to be spurred on to be the best version of myself, to really learn who I am, to continue to grow in, what I, in, in, in who I am. I want to be a continual learner and developer, and I want to do more of what God has for me. Or it could be, you know, actually, I don't really know. I don't really know what God has put in me, and I want to discover more of that. So are you ready to say yes to Jesus? And if you are, and you want to, and you want to kind of have this opportunity to really to walk alongside someone else, someone else who will cheer you on, who will help you discover some of that, who will um, ask you questions and, and answer questions, and um, you know, and be in that relationship, then maybe you want to, um, you know, to dedicate kind of 11 months over the next like year. To being part of this mentoring program as a mentee. But the other question really is you know for for every Elisha there is an Elijah and maybe actually God is saying to you that you recognize that God has, has you know has put things in your life but actually you want to play an important role in pouring into another person's life to see the full purposes of God fulfilled and you know, maybe actually, God is asking you to, you know, to be a mentor uh, this coming year in this mentoring program. Or maybe you want, you actually want to all, and you want to do both. You want to be a mentor and a mentee, um, because actually, you, you grow in both of those roles, don't you? Like, you, you really do grow in both of those roles. Neither one um, excludes you from learning and growing yourself, because in both of those roles, you will, you will learn and grow. So, I guess I leave you just today with, um, you know, the next few weeks we're going to be looking at discipleship. Uh, we want to really cultivate a culture um, of discipleship in, in hope. We want to see people release into everything that God has for them. And so today, at midday, the application is going to launch, aren't they? How does that happen Um church? Church Street. Okay. Okay, go to my church suite and my events. And what you'll find there is more information about the mentoring program you'll find job descriptions um, of what it is to be a mentor what it is to be a mentee Um, you'll also find an application form which will ask you some questions about you know why you want to be part of this program and just ask you some questions to help you think through that and i'd really encourage you to have a look at it and consider it And ask God, kind of, whether it's something that he wants you to be part of this year. And over the next couple of weeks, as I say, we'll have the opportunity to hear a little bit more um, and unpack that a bit more as well. And there's an email in everyone's inbox right now. So that's great. Now, if you don't get emails or you're not on Church Suite, then I'm sure Anne or Harry, Harry gibbs Harry or Anne would love to speak to you.